This morning's passage was not in our lectionary text, but I was drawn to it in the last week or so out of concern for the chaos that is going on in the world, not the least of which the chaos going on in our nation's capital. And so with that preface, hear now the word as it is given to us in Exodus 20, verses 1, actually through 21. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, for any foreigner residing in your towns. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Whatever happened to fear and trembling, especially fear and trembling around these Ten Commandments. Actually, the Hebrew word is best understood by utterances rather than commandments, a particularly more holy and reverent word than just a rule. It's an utterance of God out of God's selfness. As we face a chaos in our world today, in Israel and Palestine, in Ukraine and Russia, 
in Washington, D.C. As we look at the lost politicians of Menendez and Trump and Hunter Biden and Matt Goetz and all the rest of those Democrats and Republicans still left who haven't yet pulled out, it seems, we cannot help but wonder what happened to fear and trembling, to a sense of reverence and holiness for the Ten Commandments as the touchstone of our moral and political and religious values to live by. Now, they're just a symbol, something we display and claim like wearing the American flag on our lapel. They've become a sign of our political leanings that we take about as seriously as we do the speed limit signs on I-95. But when you read the whole story of why God handed them over to Moses, it should bring us to our knees. Why? To bring order to us. To give us restraints and rules to live by. The first use of the law, according to John Calvin, is so that they will act like a mirror, which is to say, we see ourselves up against them, and then we judge ourselves for how far short we fall, therefore it brings us to confession. The second purpose is to restrain evil. It is for civility. And the third is to do what pleases God for its own sake. For after it's all said and done, what pleases God, as we are made in God's image, pleases us. So as you read this story, it comes not long after Israel had been exiled by Moses through the Red Sea and into the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land, and they hadn't been on the way for long before they started complaining and whining that there wasn't anything to drink. So after a couple of days, God brought water for them to drink. So they went a little more and they started complaining there wasn't anything to eat, so God brought them manna from heaven to eat. Then they went some more and everybody was clamoring at Moses as the leader. They were coming to Moses, whining and complaining. And so God, through Moses' stepfather Jethro, showed him that he needed elders and leaders that the people could come to. And so they named elders so that Moses didn't have to carry the whole group. God told Moses to remind them that he had freed them from the bonds of slavery yet they sounded like they were still in it. That he had bore them up on eagle's wings and brought them to himself, he told Moses. Remind them that. And because of that, now they are to obey and keep my commandments so they will become my treasured and holy people. A holy nation. And the people all went, rah, rah. Great, we agree. And then God set the stage for the bringing of those commandments, which would happen on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And he said, 
there will be a dense cloud so that people will understand how important and powerful this is and that they will need to consecrate themselves, that is to wash themselves, their bodies, for two days, and then on the third day, God will come to rest on top of the mountain. But God told Moses, tell them not to come near the mountain. Do not touch it, he said. You will die if so. And when the trumpet sounds, there will be a loud blast, and they may go to the foot of the mountain, but tell them again, don't touch the mountain, and then you will come up to the mountain to meet me. And then the trumpet sounded, and there was this long blast, and all the people fell on their faces in fear and trembling at the foot of the mountain. There was great thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on top of the mountain, and great fires descended, and God sent Moses with the rule of going down to the people and tell them that their priests nor they can come any closer. Four times God told Moses to tell them this. And then Moses, according to God's command, asked Aaron to join him and went back up to the mountain where Moses then in the cloud of darkness with great thunder and fire gave Moses what we call the Ten Ordinances. And after all that was said and done, the Bible goes on to say, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. Again, they stayed at a distance. 19, it says in verse, and, and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will listen, but if God talks to us, we ain't going li to live at all. That's how frightful it was. But Moses said, don't be afraid. God's come to test you, so you will fear God, and hopefully it will keep you from sinning. So what happened to it? What happened to this fear? Oh, I know Jesus. Jesus came, the incarnation of Christ, the little baby Jesus in the manger, this is the incarnation of God. And, 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 you know, all the fear kind of went away with Jesus. You know, uh, hardly. The reason we crucified him was because we were so afraid of him. The holiness of his complete love was too much for us to grasp. And when he was crucified, according to Matthew, there was a great earthquake, like the top of the mountain, an earthquake so huge that it opened all of the graves around Jerusalem, and the spirits rose up out of it, according to Matthew, and wandered around in Jerusalem for a while. That's how scary it was. Everything Jesus said and did only increased the power of God's love, a love that should knock us to our knees in fear and trembling at the cost of it, at the high duty we are given to live up to it. But instead, we turn God's laws into nothing but political shibboleths. That's the Hebrew word for the only the word that Jewish people could say right to know that you were a Jew, a shibboleth. We use the 
Ten Commandments to see who's really in and who's really out in terms of our political leanings. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Robert Shank. He wrote a book four years ago called Costly Grace. He was born Jewish. He converted to Christianity with his twin brother Paul when he was 15. They were sort of juvenile delinquents, but he got saved in the Methodist church in Buffalo, New York at 15. His father wasn't really happy about that being Jewish, but he kind of went along with it. And eventually it led to him becoming a minister in the Assemblies of God church. For 20 years or 18 or so, he had this deep compassion for the poor and for justice and to help people who were facing injustices following the teachings of Jesus, the compassion and love, as he made it clear on the Sermon on the Mount. But after 20 years, he had this conversion. It was a second conversion, where he moved away from that into politics. He became a passionate anti-abortion supporter, which brought him fame, money, and power. Especially when he was taught by the Republican uh, pundits back then that like Rush Limbaugh and cable news, the way to get money and power is by preaching two things, fear and anger. CNBC, Fox News, they know this well. This led him to start what's called the Ten Commandments Project. It was a political action committee giving over 400 plaques of the Ten Commandments to members of Congress and highly placed officials in Washington. And this was a time, you know, when the press uh, was putting, trying to talk about putting religion back in schools, and he would go to a congressman and basically threaten him, if you do not agree to follow the Ten Commandments and be a member of this project, then I will give your name to the press that you don't believe in the Ten Commandments. And so they would all acquiesce, and he'd give them a plaque with two uh, little um, rock-like tablets with the Ten Commandments on it that they were to hang in their office, and he'd take their pictures, and he'd publicize it. And if they all cooperated, he had so many people now at his fingertips, you couldn't list them. He was instrumental in working with Judge Roy Moore, the Supreme Court Justice of Alabama, who refused to move the rock granite Ten Commandments from the courthouse. You remember that story. He and several others knelt down in front of it so that the marshals could not pass, ending up being arrested. He ended up being arrested numerous times for various other acts of unlawfulness. From there, he became the top anti-abortion leader in the country, starting a non-profit group called Faith in Action. They were arrested over and over again for illegal practices, like surrounding the building as they knelt in prayer to keep young women from entering. They harassed the doctors, screaming insults, calling them murders, and the nurses. He once was given a fetus of an aborted African-American child named Tia, which he held in his hands and paraded around at an anti-abortion event in front of a clinic 
in Buffalo, New York, to show the mothers and the press what abortion meant. Shank later confessed that he was then part of a group that paid Norma McCorvey, also known as Jane Roe, in the Hallmark case, Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, paid her to lie and say that she had changed her mind and joined anti-abortion movements. Looking back, he said, I had lost track of this first Jesus. I would pray in his name and invoke his teachings publicly and privately, but became spiritually disoriented and in ways isolated and alone. During this second life, I would listen to and eagerly follow the politicized gospel preached by other voices from the political arena, talk radio, and an audience craving movement champions. For more than 30 years, he said, I espoused and embodied the type of born-again evangelical Christianity that had become almost synonymous with a right-wing and increasingly aggressive Republican Party. I'm not picking on Republicans. The Democrats have had their stint at this, too. But as I witnessed this week in the overthrow of the Speaker of the House, how radical it has become, I had to preach about it. For Shank, he had a third conversion. Two things happened. Friday night, October 23rd, 1998, in the Buffalo suburb of Amherst, the abortion doctor Barnett Slepian, whose clinic had been demonstrated against for years, his, and he and his wife returned home from an annual memorial prayer service for his father in the synagogue. He stood in the kitchen, heating some soup, talking to his wife and his four sons when a single sniper's bullet pierced the window, severed his spine and a order, narrowly missing his son and killing him two hours later. When the liberal press poured in, Rob Shank and his brother were held responsible for the murder, even though they didn't know the people who did it. They did know well the doctor. With all that, this led Shank to do much soul searching, but he kept at it. He doubled down. That same month was the House of Representatives impeachment of President Clinton following perjury charges against him about the affair he had had with Monica Lewinsky in the White House. Owing to the president's misstep, the folks in my circles, he said, could not imagine the midterm elections in 1998 that they would be anything but a wholesale repudiation of Clinton and his administration, but we miscalculated. The Senate voted not to remove the president from office. Republicans lost five seat in the House, seats in the House, and Newt Gingrich was forced to resign as Speaker. The official explanation for Gingrich's abrupt departure was that he bore the blame for the loss of Republican seats in the 1998 elections. It was not quite so simple, he said. A year after Gingrich had lost his speakership, he divorced his second wife and married a former staff member with whom it was rumored he had had an extramarital affair. But it didn't stop with him. One after another, Shank says, 
prominent members of our trusted Republican leadership demonstrated they had a great deal in common with the president when it came to infidelity. When I reflected on it, he said, I was deeply ashamed, but he doubled down again. As faith in action became more successful, he became one of the most influential figures in the Republican Party and the religious right. While his unguarded midnight thoughts became more prominent and uncomfortable, in the morning he would wake up and tuck them away because the cause mattered. Finally, his conversion came when he was asked to visit the family of the man who walked into the Amish school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and you know what happened. The family of the man who did it, he was asked to come to. And while sitting with his wife, she sewed his suicide note that said he was angry with God because God did not save one of their children who had become ill. While he was praying for them and with them, the press was gathered all outside. There was a knock on the door. They opened it to find several of the Amish elders standing there asking if they could come in and have prayers of forgiveness. Shank said, this broke my heart and knocked me to my knees. And at that moment, I started moving back to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Later, he was working on a PhD, and he came to beat Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of his heroes, when he was younger. He was a theologian in Nazi, in German, Germany during the Nazi and Hitler uh, Reich. And he had written a book called um, The Cost of Discipleship, about what it means to follow Jesus in hard times. And Schenck had devoured it as a young man. So he, he wrote, Schenck wrote, after coming back to this book, after my experience with the Amish, I reread the first sentences of the work, and it said, cheap grace is the mortal enemy of our church. Our struggle today is for costly grace, hence the name of his book. Later, he would go to Terry Jones, that crazy evangelical Florida guy who was going to publicly burn the Koran. Remember that? That was 2010. Can you believe 13 years ago? He went to him and talked him out of it, knowing how much harm it would do. And in 2010, he changed his mind on abortion, seeing that banning it would cause more harm than good. And in 2015, Abigail Disney of the Disney Disneys produced a documentary called The Armor of Light about his story and his newfound faith and work against America's insane gun culture. What happened? Fear and trembling happened. He fell his, on his knees. And he remembered, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And knowing everything he had done had been just that. Stamping God's name on all of it, the politics and all. And that's what changed him. 
When our kids were in school at E. Rivers Elementary in Atlanta, it was right before, it was the day before Christmas break, and I, I was asked by, Anita, uh, by Nancy to pick them up. So I was standing in the hall waiting for them to get out of their classrooms, and the bell rang, and here comes a bunch of little kids running down the hall to see their parent or parents, and, and I'm standing there, and there's this one little guy, and he's trying to put his coat on, while at the same time he has his hands around these wonderful little surprises, these Christmas surprises. I think they were clay or something that they made for their family or their parents. And he tripped, and the surprise went down on the ground and broke into a gazillion pieces. And everybody was speechless, as was the young boy. And then he started, as you know, to wail. And he wailed and wailed. And his father got to him first and knelt down with him and patted him on the back. And he said, it's okay, son. It's okay. It's okay. It, just, it doesn't matter. It's okay. But, you know, fathers are always trying to fix it. But some things you can't fix. And his mother knew that. So his mother comes and pushes dad out of the way and reaches down and picks up her son and puts him close to her and starts crying with him and say, oh, son, it matters. It matters more than anything in the world. Jesus told his disciples that anyone who broke the commandments love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbor as yourself. Anyone who broke them calling his brother a fool stands under the law in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus. The truth of this should bring us fear and trembling. But there is something worse and even more fearful still. And that is being told that it doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter. Then we are not standing in danger of the fires of hell. Then we don't even know what to do because we are already in hell. Let us bring forth the symbols of our love of God. A God of Jesus who chose us to come close enough to tremble. Amen.